Welcome, everyone, back to the Club Talk Podcast, where my name is Tyler Zust. As always, I'm the host for this great podcast. And today I have a great special edition, uh, the quarantine edition uh, of the podcast. I'm obviously coronavirus affecting a lot of people around the nation. Um, today the guest was Phil Wheeler. Um, I really appreciate Phil, who's a new and uh, great friend of mine so far. Um, he's the assistant general manager at the Baltic Straw Country Club in New Jersey. And I hope you enjoy listening as much as I did recording. And without further ado, Phil Wheeler. Well, welcome, Phil. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you coming on during these uh, difficult times we have. Absolutely. Glad to be here. <laughs> All right. So I guess uh, I'll have you start by, I guess, introducing yourself and uh, like what you're doing now in the club industry. So I am the assistant general manager at Baltic Golf Club. I started in July of 2019. Um, and so in my role, oversee all of the clubhouse operation uh, from food and beverage to maintenance, housekeeping, laundry, anything under the roof of the clubhouse, really anything under any roof, uh, the fitness facility, the uh, golf performance facility, and kind of the ongoing maintenance in those areas as well. I have about six food and beverage managers that are focused on food and beverage operation of the club that uh, I manage directly. Uh, But then I also have a couple other department heads as well from a maintenance and housekeeping uh, standpoint. So So what I'm interested in is uh, I saw like I was looking, peeping through your LinkedIn profile um, and I saw like you went to college, Oklahoma State, and then, you know, you were all these positions in Oklahoma. And then I see Baltus Strolls in New Jersey. Um, How how was the transition from Oklahoma to New Jersey? Uh, It's... It's been a good transition. It's been a challenging transition, not because of people, uh, just because being born and raised in Oklahoma, uh, that's all I knew. <laughs> and uh, moving that far away from family and friends was was kind of challenging at first, but uh, you know, I love what I do. So I know that I could, no matter where I plugged myself in, I was going to be successful and that work would keep me busy and uh, I would get fulfillment from that. I think my my scenario is a little bit different because of just some of the things that have happened during my transition. About 10 days after I started, we had a fire in the clubhouse, oh, wow. which, uh, which was a good lesson in crisis management. Um, but because of that fire, there was a lot of damage from water, uh, mold, asbestos. And so half the clubhouse was closed from the time I started and is still closed uh, today as we speak. So our food and and beverage operation was unaffected physically by it. Uh, You know, from a revenue standpoint, it was obviously affected. But my transition was immediately into crisis management versus know getting to know the operation as it was when i arrived wow that's uh that's pretty interesting <laughs> probably not many people have that uh you know 10 days or however long it was that you said right off the bat um, no i don't i don't necessarily wish that we'll be better <laughs> right better right um okay so i'm interested in hearing your journey um of how you got to your current position today because I know maybe you came from not the most traditional way, I guess, um, from being, you know, the 
the previous positions as the line cooks and stuff like that to um, assistant general manager that you uh, that you are today. I'm interested in uh, how you got to uh, how you got to your position right now. Sure. So I grew up with a passion for hospitality. Uh, I didn't know it was hospitality at the time. I I as a kid loved cooking in the kitchen and um, through Boy Scouts and just loved being around food and creating and really making people happy. And so I kind of went down that direction of hospitality from high school. I was working in restaurants in high school because it's what I love to do. And then once I realized there were actually degree programs for that, uh, I knew exactly then that what I wanted to do. Um, both my parents went to Oklahoma State, and I lived in Oklahoma, and they had a great uh, hospitality program there. So I applied to one school and got in wow. and cooked my way uh, through college. <laughs> All my internships were in the back of the house. And before I graduated, it was about three or four months before I graduated, and I was just kind of unsatisfied. I, there was something missing personally, and I couldn't put my finger on it, and I was meeting with my mentor and my uh, advisor, career advisor at school and somebody I looked up to and he said, you know, you have a passion for hospitality, so explore things that encompass hospitality. Have you ever thought about country clubs? And I said no. And uh, there were a couple clubs in the state that were hiring. One I was very familiar with, the other I was not, but I applied to both. And... Uh, that one that I ended up uh, getting was Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club. I started there as an assistant manager uh, with no front of house experience other than my service lab uh, from college. And it was just the thing that excited me was during my interview, uh, Oliver told me I would be wearing many different hats and every day was different. And that just sparked my interest. I left that interview so energized and excited to to start a new career within hospitality and so I started there and about a year and a half into my time the clubhouse manager accepted a GM job at another club in Oklahoma City and Oliver took me out to dinner and offered me the clubhouse manager position which after only being there a year and a half was scary <laughs> I was fresh out of college, never worked in the front of the house, never worked at a club, and here I am in this position, kind of step into this position of leadership. Um, but, you know, I think that he wasn't going to give me anything that would make me fail. He wasn't going to set me up, and he was going to be there to support me, uh, which is exactly what happened. So I grew in that role over the course of nine years. I was the clubhouse manager there um, and had started looking for uh, general manager opportunities about three years ago. And uh, through those searches, uh, I actually wound up uh, at Baltusrol. I was interviewing for uh, a position up in the Northeast and I didn't end up getting that job. And at that point, the Baltimore job became available and went through the interview process, which was about a month and a half, uh, and ended up getting that job. And my fiance at the time and I moved 
across the country with four dogs on a house <laughs> and got married, went through a fire, and uh, <laughs> here we are. So that's interesting. Because yeah. uh, uh, it, you know, I'm a student, so I, I personally don't know the the processes for like the upper management positions. That's cool to see or interesting to hear that there's like a um, a more prolonged process for the position, like a month and a half from what you said. So that's pretty, that's cool to know uh, that long for a uh, interview process. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. I was actually, um, so I'm a hospitality student now at High University. I'm a junior. Um, and I actually was completely the opposite. Like I had, um, I was, I love sports and I love the NBA. I love NFL. Um, and I originally applied for um, their journalism program, which is like one of the top in the country here. And I got denied. And so uh, my plan was to pick a program and then transfer into the journalism program. And uh, I was looking through the catalog and I found the restaurant, hotel, and tourism program. Um, I guess I never looked back, you know. So, um, you know, obviously CMAA, um, I'm probably, um, you know, this, this is something that probably a career for me. So um, interesting to hear different perspectives where, you know, you, you were set on hospitality and then me, you know, getting denied from a program and then not looking back. So, um, yeah, I think you see that. I mean, I don't think it's a, a common case where you're 10 years old and you decide that this is what <laughs> right. you want to do. Uh, but like my, uh, one of my assistant managers went into finance and immediately was, you know, changed his mind and went into hospitality. He's just a, a people driven person that's passionate about food and beverage and has found himself, uh, a nice little niche here within the club industry to really grow and have a successful career. Right. Um, okay. Well, you know, great, great journey for you so far. Um, so now I'm interested um, in any cool stories, fun, funny uh, from the industry. Cause from my past two experiences, my two internships, I know there's um, been some crazy experiences. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll go first just to give an idea of maybe like what I'm looking for, maybe just give you some thoughts um, sure. and, I, and, uh, I guess I'll start with my, so this was, um, my freshman year internship and, uh, obviously this probably won't happen, um, for managers, but, um, so this was a country club where there's a lot of international interns. Um, and so basically one of the, uh, interns had this really good relationship with a member and, um, with the member, they had this really good relationship. And so the member, actually entrusted the intern like to house sit um, and to dog sit. And what was crazy was um, the intern actually invited other interns to the house. Um, and uh, basically, you know, we just had a lot of uh, good times at the um, house of the member. Um, and that was like one of the crazy experiences I've had just because you know, it probably shouldn't happen, you know, um, from, uh, from a member standpoint. But also, my general manager, um, a former general manager, um, who's my current advisor now, he told me the story on the podcast where um, he was first getting into his country club general manager position, and he looked on the sheet, and he saw that the liquor percentages were off, and he thought that the employees were stealing. Um, and so what he did was, in all black, he actually went at night um, after hours and actually was on the, uh, on the green, and he was like with binoculars. And he was looking into the clubhouse to see if, uh, um, for like, if anybody was like throwing parties or anything like that. Um, and he did, he did catch his employees, um, giving out drinks and stuff like that after hours. 
um <laughs> was uh, he said it was pretty cool too at that time so um those are just two experiences i've had so far i've heard from um and i was just wondering if you had anything uh to share yeah you know you, my my former boss said you're gonna have one really really bad day in your career and then you won't have one ever that's that bad again <laughs> and so so far in my career i can identify that day um he was out of the country uh with a group of members uh taking a trip uh i think it was to france maybe for a wine trip and the executive chef and i were left in charge and it was mother's day weekend and mother's day uh, at the time at that club was eight to nine hundred people seatings throughout the day from 11 o'clock in the morning till uh, two o'clock in the afternoon and we decided that it would be a good idea to change the buffet setup so that it was more of action stations where you could approach from all different sides and there wasn't necessarily a start or a finish it was um, you know stations and so we thought this small plate concept was a great idea and that it was something different that the membership would really appreciate so i was manning the front desk the check-in desk um, as members were coming in and getting them set and the first hour is is a piece of cake you know all the tables are, are ready for them the buffets are looking great and you think you're off to a great start well at the start of the third seating i started to notice that there was a line forming behind me i was near the front door and when i looked back the line was from the buffet all the way to the front door um, and it was at that moment that we both realized that this was not a good idea uh, but we're in the middle of mother's day at this point but there's nothing we can do to change it so i have to keep my back turned because i'm at the the desk and the chef is standing at the start of the buffet line passing out champagne apologizing to people <laughs> and trying to show them how the buffet was intended to to work it was intended to be you know approach from all different all different sides so that a big line wouldn't form uh, and a member walked past me as they were leaving and, and looked me straight in the eye and said you've got a lot to learn sonny oh. <laughs> the only thing i could say is you're absolutely right and, and i apologized and my boss uh, called me at the end of brunch and asked me how everything went and I had to tell him that it did not go well. Um, <laughs> so lessons, lots and lots of lessons learned there. Um, to stick stick to what you know works, especially when you're talking about that amount of people. Uh, go with the tried and true. You know, in the midst of there being lines, you can still offer hospitality, and and some people were understanding, but others were not. And kind of vetting those plans before we change them being more cautious to making big changes like that uh, were lessons that I learned and to that point I've not had a day worse than that uh, so <laughs> it's a great 
great learning example for me and for the chef as well. So, you know, what's, what's really interesting is, so I, I texted someone, uh, you know, I told him, uh, you know, you were coming on the podcast and I uh, asked if, you know, if there's anything that I should ask you about, like story-wise, if there's anything cool or funny that happened. And what, what this person texted me was, ask about the time he re- reinvented Mother's Day buffet. Um, it's legendary, Tyler. <laughs> so that's, I just thought it was really funny how, you know, the story was from the Mother's Day buffet. Um, yeah. But yeah, great, great story. Thank you for sharing. Um, You're welcome. So I have, it's okay. So we'll move on to, uh, I have a segment on here called the Would You Rather Club Talk Edition. And so basi- okay. basically, I'll give you like two options. You say, you know, like wh- which one would you prefer? Um, okay. So my first question is banquet or restaurant? Restaurant. Restaurant. Do you have like a specific reason why? I like the service, uh, uh, restaurant setting and the formality of sitting down and going through the steps of service and, you know, linens and white tablecloth, that whole bit. What I, the, uh, sorry, go the ahead. food presents better too. I think I kind of, I wouldn't call myself a food snob. I would just say that <laughs> I'm particular about what I like. Um, so I, I say restaurant too, uh, but my, I have different reasoning. Like my reasoning I choose restaurant is because I don't like setting up, uh, setting up all those chairs and all the tables and stuff for the, from the, uh, banquet side. I prefer, like you said, like the service and I like talking to the, cause banquets, you know, banquets more, more maybe like friends of members, whereas like a restaurant, they're usually like members or, you know, members of their family. Um, and I like talking to them. So, um, Okay, so second question, uh, formal or informal dining? In today's world, I would say informal. I personally like getting dressed up and going out to a formal dinner, but I don't think that, that, that clubs are successful in that arena anymore. More of the fast-paced, casual turnover now? Well, I think not that. I just think that the atmosphere, I think... The whole style of dining is different today, um, and a more relaxed atmosphere with the same quality ingredients and uh, composition of dishes is is more the speed of the membership. There's going to be always be people that say, "I want to have formal dining," uh, and I saw this at my last club where we had a formal dining room and it was used underutilized. I mean, maybe a dozen covers for a weekend so we were limiting its hours of operation just to three days a week three nights a week and even still the the numbers didn't increase this was eight years ago uh and then when we closed it everybody was upset that we closed it because now we don't have a formal dining option Uh, and where i am now same thing The, the dining space used to be three times what it is today uh, and it just wasn't busy enough to support a room that size. Now that it's been shrunk down considerably, you can have three or four tables in there and it feels busier, which is good. You don't want to walk into an empty dining space. It's right. uncomfortable. Um, and I, I will say that that's absolutely true because um, I was a restaurant supervisor at the New York Athletic Club this past summer. Um, and we had... Uh, a patio outside a restaurant where members could sit down and um, it was more fast paced. And we also had a short 31 formal dining room where, um, you know, there's a dress code and stuff like that. And um, Jean-Claude, who's been the host there for, I don't know, probably 
past 10, 15 years, um, you know, he, he, what's funny is he keeps like a count, um, in his drawer, he keeps a count of, takes a count every single uh, night and just like writes it down. Um, and you know, he past couple of years, you know, it just keeps on declining. Um, whereas like the outside patio restaurant where it's, you know, less formal, um, just has like higher member interest and, um, you know, more, more family styled. So, um, absolutely. That's completely true. Um, so this next question is also dependent, uh, on what you say. Um, so have you, um, obviously I met you at this conference. Were you either at Nashville or at San Francisco the past two years for world conference? Yeah, I was at, at both. Okay. So for this, would you rather question uh, grapevine or Nashville? Nashville. I say hundred percent true. Uh, I think it was <laughs> right. That's an easy one. Yeah. Would, would you say, okay. So the Nashville or San Francisco? San Francisco. Really? I'm a San, I'm a San Francisco uh, fan. I mean, I, I love the restaurant scene there. I love uh, being in the Bay Area. I love the proximity to Napa Valley. Uh, now, I know that the city is not necessarily the cleanest, but uh, <laughs> I, I just I love the atmosphere, the vibe that the city has there. And I like Nashville a lot, too. Um, but from a food and beverage perspective, San Francisco was more my speed. So I was, uh, you know, Grapevine, you know, the this year, like, the location wasn't really near anything, really. Um, last year in Nashville, obviously, you have Bourbon Street, I think it is, the the main street. You have, like, all the um, barbecue and stuff like that. Um, but I was lucky to have family in both locations, um, in San Francisco and Nashville. My, um, my cousin actually owns a seafood restaurant that was probably about maybe, maybe a 10-minute walk from the... Uh, site location for conference uh, so that was pretty cool I got to talk to him and he showed me his restaurant which is pretty cool um, but I'm also a, a San Francisco 49er fan so um, okay. I was uh, I love San Francisco and I also had a uh, another cousin that lived over there that actually has a job in uh, San Francisco so um, definitely grapevine was probably more of the the lesser ones but you know excited for Tampa next year too so um, good answer so I so you know, this one you don't have to elaborate on if you don't have to. Um, the coronavirus is obviously something that has impacted, you know, almost everyone nowadays. Um, I was just wondering if you wanted to, um, how has it impacted your club? And uh, how do you think this has impacted the club industry as a whole, uh, maybe like now or maybe moving forward? Sure. Well, and I think the, you know, the virus and the spread of the virus is a terrible thing. And it's something that, that I've never seen anything like it in my life, and many people haven't. Um, for a country as a whole, I think it's really a wake-up call uh, for sanitation. It's a wake-up call for on the political fronts as well, but um, those things aside, it's devastating the hospitality industry, uh, not only hospitality, but tourism as well uh, for cities, and I think that clubs are a part of that, you know, for us, we're currently closed at the moment. Uh, being in New Jersey and being so close to New York City and the number of cases there that are growing and in New Jersey growing, um, just spreading like wildfire, uh, we decided to close our operation for the time being and are reevaluating on a weekly basis. Uh, but right now, with the government uh, kind of mandating the, the limitations in gatherings and here, bars and restaurants are, are all closed and only open for delivery only. 
we have not implemented anything of that sort yet. Um, you know, this thing could go on for a month or two months, and at that point, we'll have to reevaluate. Uh, but the hardest thing to deal with is the staff, and how do you handle your staff during a time like this, and keeping the morale uh, high and trying to keep them employed. I mean, clubs are in a unique position to have dues income uh, coming in, whereas most small restaurant independent uh, hospitality companies are just closing their doors and laying everybody off. And um, Clubs are in a unique position to be able to help their employees to an extent, um, but there's and I'm sure you've been participating in them. The NCA and the CMAA have been putting on some great webinars this week and moving forward just as creating a forum of how we can uh, attack this together and how we can kind of stay together in a, as our tight-knit uh, group to overcome this with our members and our staff and uh, keep everybody safe in the same talking, I think. Yeah, it's, it's such a weird feeling to go to the grocery store and the shelves are empty and uh, wait in, just today, wait in line to go in because they're only allowing a certain number of people into the store. So it's uh, crazy times right now, but, you know, we all have to do our part to ensure that we get through it. And, you know, if that's limiting our interaction with people, then that's what that means. And I think that our generations, young people, probably have not done a good job of adhering to that. And I think they all need to. We all need to be supportive of what the government is saying, what the health professionals are saying, because if you look at China and some of the people that have gone before us, it's a real deal pandemic and it's taking lives. And we should be concerned not only about our own lives, but about the lives that we could potentially infect as well. Yeah, I have a, a few thoughts on, on this. Uh, well, number one, I think um, after talking to some of my peers and stuff, like um, it's it's definitely unprecedented times. Um, so, you know, the clubs don't know what's going to happen in the future. Um, you know, uh, peers like me, you know, we, we're unsure of, um, you know, you know, internship wise coming through, um, you know, if the clubs are going to stay closed, you know, what does that mean for us? Um, but also, you know, um, people... You know, I've, I've seen on Twitter, Kevin Durant tweeted, um, you know, he had coronavirus, but he did not exempt any symptoms, you know. So um, what's, what's scary is, you know, you could be a, a carrier for this and you don't even know, like you don't have the symptoms. However, you could be giving it to other people. And that's why I think the self-quarantine uh, is, a you know, something that people should be exhibiting right now um, just to, you know, say not, you know, not looking, looking out for not just yourself, but others. Um and, uh, you know, in Ohio, you know, I feel as if like the governor, he's sort of trying to be the, the front runner of it because we were one of the first um, states to close restaurants. We were one of the first states to you know, we, we nobody uh, over 10 people can gather now in Ohio. So, um, you know, it's just some stuff to think about in unprecedented, uh, unprecedented times. Um, like you said, CMEA is doing these webinars. I attended or I listened in on the uh, the three o'clock or two o'clock to three o'clock one. Um, Andy Likes did a great presentation about it. So. Um, you know, moving forward, you know, no, but I don't think anybody knows, you know, just, uh, we're looking at Italy, we're looking at China, stuff like that. So, um, definitely something like you said, I've never seen this before. My, my dad was exasperated, you know, when, when stuff started closing, he was like, I've never seen anything like this before. They, they, uh, my family was actually planning on going to, um, Disney, uh, this Sunday for a week for spring break. So, 
my mom was pretty mad about that um that yeah. they closed but you know obviously they had to probably thousands of people meet up for that uh every day so um very interesting coming through and obviously the information people are trying to um, i've seen like other countries are trying to uh isolate the virus and stuff like that so um but definitely like you know club industry like you said is unique and um other like another industry that i've seen people do is the sport industry where um sport owners and players like kevin love and steph curry they're donating funds to like arena workers whereas you know they won't be working however they're donating funds to um help out the workers in, in this time of need where they actually depend on their paycheck to paycheck so um, that's also something very interesting i thought about the the topic yeah um okay so we we talked a little bit a little bit before um your your back of the house experience i was wondering um i you know i'm, I'm a horrible cook um I was just wondering if if being in the back of the house, being a headline chef, maybe at the Ranchers Club or previous uh, positions, uh, did it give you like a broader experience or a different experience when you became uh, your position today, assistant general manager? Yeah, I think, you know, as, as somebody that's very passionate about culinary and about food and beverage and experience, I think that anything you can do to broaden that uh, is good. So whether if you're a line cook or you are studying to be a sommelier or you know anything in between that, I think the more you can do to broaden your skill sets, the better. So for me, because I had a passion for cooking and, and culinary first, it was an easy transition for me to relate uh, the back of the house to the front of the house. It's something I've worked in uh, for years and. I think that it allowed me to have a better understanding of culinary operations, being in the front of the house, uh, being able to relay some of those to other front of house managers or employees that maybe had not been in the back of the house. And so being able to see both sides clearly and kind of what, what the drivers were for employees in the back of the house versus what the drivers were for the front of the house and how to kind of blend those two together. Um, in order to make sure that the front and the back always work together and that there were no divisions or walls put up between the two. So I, I was able to kind of play both sides of the fence in a positive light uh, because I've been in the back of the house. Um, that being said, I think that I have an ability to talk about food with staff and, and members that maybe talk about it on a different level than than somebody that has not been in the back. I was never a server. I was never uh, a, a bartender or anything like that. Any any cocktail making I have done has been either self-taught or uh, just experimental um, <laughs> through through going out and experiencing uh, other places and restaurants and things like that. But you know, ultimately, the being a line cook taught me. A lot of discipline and time management skills taught me how to multitask, work myself out of uh, the weeds, as we call it, when you would get behind and how to put your head down and get through those those times. So it did a lot for me, and I'm still very thankful uh, that I went that route. Um, I have a lot of respect for guys that are and girls that are working on the line. I think it's made me a, a well-rounded manager. Definitely. And, you know, I, I, uh, some of those chefs, you know, like some of the best people 
that, uh, that I've had relationships with, you know, some of those chefs are, you know, they have had really great experiences and, um, you know, I, I you know, really enjoy, you know, the chefs usually. They're some of the more interesting people that I talked to the past two summers. Um, but also wondering if that helped you um, with the, um, if you've developed a menu, like menu development, if that helped you with that at all. Um, a little bit. I think, I think people can develop menus based on experience, but you have to listen to what uh, membership wants and what their needs are and kind of what they're looking for. I've not had to write a food menu in a long time. Uh, I do like the collaboration between uh, the front and the back of the house to come up with new specials. You know, I think that the chef is obviously the professional, has a lot of great ideas, but listening to the back of the or the front of the house and also you know, the fellow cooks, what's new and what's what's trendy, what some of the, the dishes that people are, are ordering more, you know, avocado and avocado toast has been a big thing in the definitely, last definitely. five years. Uh, quinoa. There's some, some key ingredients and key trigger words I call them that should be on menus today and I think um, those are all conversations that you have together I think get buy-in from the service staff as well as, as to what you're going to be serving and from what I've just been like listening to like and seeing like members are wanting to be more environmental friendly uh, the past couple of years I think uh, maybe either be like organic or you know more people are going either vegan or vegetarian stuff like that um, even like, you know, I, as a supervisor, you know, I got a lot of questions about like, you know, gluten-free options and stuff like that. Um, I've seen that trend, I think, increase, uh, the, at least the past two summers I've worked. Have, have you noticed that at all? Yeah, I think there's a, a greater sense of place and people want to know where their food is coming from, whether that's a local farm or, uh, they want to see if it's gluten-free or heart healthy on the menu. I think that all those are, are necessary things, and I think it's kind of a, it could be, you could approach it as it being a headache, but I think that that's the trend, and that's where people that are going outside of the club setting, that's what they're seeing, so why shouldn't we have that uh, in our club setting? So having calorie counts, having free heart-healthy symbols on the menu, just like other restaurants, and vegan and vegetarian options as well, we have to be... You know, as a club, we have to be everything to everybody all the time. And so you've got to have those kinds of things available if you're going to have uh, a diverse and, and successful membership. Okay. Um, yeah, that, that's really that's really cool, uh, you know, experience to, um, to have and to learn, uh, to hear from. Um, and I'm also uh, wondering if you had maybe any advice you have for either students going into their first internship um, or maybe students are, that are graduating, they're maybe they're going to their first uh, maybe management position in the, in the uh, club industry. Yeah, I think you know, the most important thing is to make sure that the club is a good fit for you and that you are a good fit for the club. And that's a feeling that you get. There's nothing, there's no science, rhyme, or reason to it. It's, it's based on your gut how a place makes you feel. If you don't get uh, warm and fuzzy from a place, then it's not going to be warm and fuzzy. Um, and you have to kind of decide what it is you're looking for. Uh, but then I would say find a personality that you like, and a manager that uh, you like, that you think will help you grow. 
that's kind of a, a catch-22 because you want to find someone that's got experience and connection, uh, but you also have to know that it's a two-way street, and you have to create your own experiences, your own happiness, your own uh, educational opportunities. You can't just rely on someone else to do that for you. And I think that someone that's successful will give you the tools you need um, in order to make the right decisions and be successful yourself, but they're not going to spoon feed it to you either. And so recognizing that when you step into a club uh, that you can't just expect for the club to give you everything you need and then you'll just be an all-star manager I think you've got to put the work in also uh, and you get out of it what you put into it that's a a cliche uh, that I'm sure you've heard before but also create your own happiness you've got to be happy in your workspace and um, if you're not then it's going to feel like work so making sure that it's a, a good fit for you it feels right and then I would say that you would have to work through challenges and those challenges are going to come early. Uh, you're going to question whether or not you made the right decision, made the right move. And you have to work through those challenges and realize that the grass is very rarely greener on the other side. Um, and working through whatever challenges you're being faced with are going to make you a stronger, more experienced manager on the other side. Um, so just working through those things and being patient and trusting the process is is really important. It's, you don't become a GM overnight. It takes years of different experiences and uh, from different managers to be able to kind of develop your own style and develop your own success. Okay. Um, I'm also, uh, so just, I have two questions to go based off of your advice. Um, where, did, did you happen to be in CMAA when, when you were in college at all? I was not. Okay. I was. I was not. I. I really had no idea that I would be. If you asked me when I was even the start of my senior year, I wouldn't have told you I was going to work at a club. <laughs> um, okay. And so then the other question I had was, um, how how do you motivate your employees to, um, just like overall, I guess, motivate them. So the way I motivate staff is empowering them and giving them responsibility and ownership of area areas of the club, things, projects, um, because if they feel like they're a part of something, um, that's going to be more rewarding for them uh, in the long run. And seeing them succeed in those projects or those areas uh, is rewarding for me as well. Telling them, uh, you know, good job and thanking people can go a long way, believe it or not. Um, and people are, you know, they're always seeking approval. They're always seeking, they want to make you look better, um, as well as giving themselves uh, an opportunity to improve. So I think just giving them chances to do that, um, and supporting them through that. I think you could ask anybody that's worked for me before, you know, every day is a new day and I treat every mistake as a mistake and a learning experience and uh, failure can be good Uh, when it's failure of the same thing over and over again that's a problem Uh, but I think I give people the opportunity to make the choice and then 
learn from that choice, whether it was positive or negative. Yeah, great to hear. Um, uh, it's always interesting to, you know, sometimes I get different answers, sometimes I get the same either way. So, um, so that's all the questions I actually had for you. Um, I, this is, this would be the time, I guess it's called flip the script. Um, if you have any questions for me, I'd be happy to answer them at all. Um, you know, if not, you know, I appreciate you coming on. What do you think, uh, what do you think your biggest, uh, takeaway has been so far from internships that you've had? Uh, that have maybe helped confirm your career path in the club industry? I think I have two answers to that. One was, uh, I guess, two parts of the same question or same answer. Uh, one was I liked seeing the same members. Um, I had never served before. Um, I had done like one pizza shop in, uh, stint before going into uh, my internship at Piping Rock Country Club. Um, and so I was a server at night. And so... Um, I still remember the Parsons family, you know, I, I would always, so, uh, first couple of nights I got them, um, I didn't have them for a little while and I saw they were coming in and I told my manager, Dane, you know, is there any way I can get the Parsons family? Um, and so even if, even if they weren't in my section, you know, he, he gave them to me and, um, it was just seeing the same members, um, the connections I built with them, seeing, um, maybe it was, you know, the mom and dad. And then when the kids came in, I loved seeing them, um, and just building connections with them was really cool. Because if I say if you work in a restaurant, I'm sure you won't see the same people, you know, every day or, you know, every week even. So um, yeah. that was something that I really enjoyed. Um, but this past internship when I was a at the New York Athletic Club um, and maybe even at my freshman one, um, the leadership style that I developed, that I thought was really uh, rewarding from being in the club industry. Uh, thinking about being my career was, you know, I really like seeing the time that I put in um, to develop my servers. You know, there were some interns and um, people that never served tables before at the beginning of the summer. And then at the end of the summer, you know, we were maybe one of the servers was quadruple sat even before the um, service started. And yet they were still able to do it seamlessly. And, you know, they weren't flustered at all. And just seeing the time and commitment that my, uh, uh, you know, from me and my staff, my other captains and managers put in, that was really cool to see. Um, it wasn't always on us though. You know, everyone has a different learning curve. So um, it was also on the server as well, but it was just seeing, you know, that, that time and commitment that we put in um, uh, turn out well for us. So that, that I guess those yeah. are the two things. Great. And where are you interning this summer? Hopefully I'm going to the Tokenique <laughs> Token Club uh, in Darien, Connecticut with uh, James um, and his staff. Uh, and, uh, you know, just really looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, hopefully it happens. You know, you never know with this uh, coronavirus going around. So. Thanks for uh, for uh, interviewing me today and for putting me on the podcast. I enjoyed it, and I think it's great what you're doing, and I hope that you can continue to to grow, and I hope that the podcast continues to grow, too. I think it's a great, it's a great effort and uh, a lot of fun. So. Right. Well, thank you, Phil. I appreciate it, and uh, um, thanks again for coming on. So thank you for listening, and I appreciate it. Thank you.